0: DEA hit a lab, but these guys weren't making drugs. This place was Three Mile Island Jr. They had isotopes, three kilo fusile material, Crichton switches. Best we can tell, the place was used to build a nuclear bomb.
1: Roll the SWAT, guys. Tell them to get the Korean, and Dave, tell those bozos, I want him alive.
0: Time is a factor here, pal. Your rights aren't. Now do yourself a big favor and talk to us. This isn't getting us anywhere. I say we hook him up to a car battery and make
1: him sing. Hello and welcome back to Smug and Play, the smuggest Windows 9X era games, technology, and culture podcast that you will find on the internet. I am your co-host, Austin, and sitting across from me on the internet is... The other host, Alan. We finally arrived at the rainy month of February. There's so much to talk about this month. We've already talked about Dark Forces, the big February 95 release in our first special episode, but I hear that you might still kind of be hung up on that. I can't stop thinking about it. You know, we we talked a lot
0: about Darth Vader and his management problems, his performance yes. management problems in particular of General Rawmock. We joked about how Rom like, probably has tenure, and I was thinking maybe Darth Vader can't fire Rom And also, yeah. Rom is probably really well-connected in the Empire, so if he were to demote Rom, it would probably cause political problems for Darth mm-hmm. as well. So maybe his best approach is just to let Rom kill himself by yeah. uh, embarking on a
1: terrible project. And maybe that's why he's not upset at the end. What, what we're hearing here is that the Empire is really like some sort of traditional you know, historic college in the Northeast. And Rom has a chair in the English department. And all that Darth Vader can do is hope to somehow put Rom in harm's way so that some rebel will come and off and him and open up that position. But I really enjoyed that podcast and, and having our friend and guest
0: host Connor on it. It was good that we really connected, I think, emotionally with part of that game. You know, I think our first two podcasts were a little bit too much on the informative spectrum. So I think this podcast, we're going to, you know, tell how we really feel about <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you've been holding it in, I see. Yeah, I, uh, I know. Well, you know, the 90s were very ridiculous. It yeah. has nothing to do with PC Gamer. We love PC Gamer. But there's just a lot of things to point out that are just bizarre about this time
1: yeah, I personally don't want to completely clear PC Gamer of any culpability in exaggerating some of the excesses of the 90s either. So I'm going to be kind of critical of them. But anyway, we've arrived in February of 1995. And there's some interesting things going on in the background. around right about the time the Dark Forces is released on February 15th, the FBI in a highly publicized raid arrests legendary hacker Kevin Mitnick in his apartment in Raleigh, North Carolina. He was arrested on federal offenses related to a two and a half year Period of computer hacking. Yeah, and he was on the lam for like two years or yes. something like that. Yes, he was a fugitive for for many years for violation of his parole agreement from an earlier hacking conviction. And you know what Kevin Mitnick actually did was not all that much. Do you know much about this case, Alan? You
0: wrote that he's more of a freaker than a hacker. Yeah, he listened to your calls. He read your emails. Right. Uh, I mean, I agree. He didn't. He didn't blow anything up or anything like that, or take down the power grid. Yeah. Uh, But he did have powers which were, you know, I think unsavory to people's privacy and, and other things like that.
1: I mean, I'm not saying he did unsavory things, but you know, he becomes sort of this, this legend that spawns all of these popular media representations of hackers that really go much beyond what Kevin Mitnick ever did. Kevin Mitnick is famous for having hacked into uh, the digital equipment corporation, DEX computer systems when he was only 16. Now, what's not highly publicized is the fact that he did this by calling up a DEX sysadmin posing as a developer who'd forgotten his credentials and then got the password off of him, logged in and then downloaded the uh, source code code for their RSTS slash three operating system. So he's really more of a social engineer, which is probably the the bulk of hacking more than it's about exploiting actual technical weaknesses and computer systems. He hacked into banks and things like that, but he never siphoned off funds for his own account. He always supported himself with traditional jobs.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like the things that he did his exploits were more for his
1: entertainment than for anything else. And he serves, he serves a lot of time for his limited exploits. You know, he served five years in prison, four and a half years pre-trial, and then eight months after that in solitary. And then why did he get solitary confinement? So he got solitary because apparently the FBI told the judge that Mitnick was so skilled a hacker that he could launch nuclear weapons just by chortling into a payphone. You know, and this is sort of reference to things that early phone freakers like Captain Crunch did in order to get free phone calls. That they would mimic the tones used for signaling in, in the phone system. The notion that you know NORAD has a phone number with a modem that you can just like dial up and, and whistle to in order to launch nuclear weapons is kind of ridiculous. Uh, or at least I hope it's. Ridiculous i don't think kevin mitnick was a human modem he probably could
0: social engineer nuclear war though it's probably not that hard i'm president clinton (laughs) yeah that's right i
1: lost my password sorry (laughs) <laughs> yeah, what's the password to the nuclear weapons again? Is it one, two, three, four, five? Are there any exclamation points or underscores or anything? No? Okay, thank you. I just wonder in, in the 90s, if the public discourse and the media
0: portrayed hackers as gods just to cover up the fact that most of our systems were just horribly insecure, right. uh, and could be broken into by basic social engineering. Just, right. I just wonder and i also encourage our listeners if you haven't seen the movie hackers from 1995 it definitely
1: portrays very well both what people thought
0: hackers looked like yes.
1: hackers is the movie where sandra bullock clicks on a little icon of the pie symbol no, on the that, corner of that, the screen that's no the net awesome no hackers is one of angelina jolie's oh. best
0: films She doesn't make out with Nick Cage in this one, so. Oh, great. Well, that's a ringing endorsement. Yeah, so Hackers both sort of shows off this, like, stylish hacker culture of teenagers that people, I guess, believe to be. And it also probably accurately shows how insecure these systems were. Like, they call out that all sysadmins use the password GOD, which probably isn't literally true, but I could imagine in 1995 that... Right. System administrators would use three character passwords to protect very important systems. So right. that one rings
1: kind of true. In a time before strong encryption. Well, anyway, we'll see a lot of games that sort of are influenced by hacker culture. You know, Kevin Mitnick had a hacker alias, El Condor. Um, Yeah, I know. And that's a big thing. Like having a hacker alias and a hacker nemesis and, you know, being a fugitive and getting illegal access to unreleased software and things like that. This is all part of the hacker mystique that will be part of games and culture throughout the decade.
0: move to our next segment, which is industry news, also known as Windows 95 Watch. We're
1: on the the patrol. We're on patrol for Windows 95. As I cracked open the uh, February 21st issue of PC Magazine, there was an article entitled Windows 95 Ellipses or 96? Uh which covers the delay of Windows ninety-five until August of this year. <laughs> it quotes someone from Microsoft who sounds very much like Steve Ballmer saying that they were delaying it to deliver a quote vigorously tested product. <laughs> Ballmer was definitely doing
0: something vigorously. Uh, I, I mean that that man exudes testosterone.
1: Clearly he meant rigorously tested, but this the mental image of a of a vigorously tested product is is disturbing. So Interestingly, PC Magazine sort of links this with the December Pentium recall due to that fdiv errata, uh, saying that Microsoft would prefer to delay the operating system than to have to do some sort of recall or a, or a day one update or whatever, something that would sort of cast a pall over the release of the operating could, system could you given their ambitions. Fill us in a little bit on the fdiv error. So it was what an academic discovered that in certain circumstances, the original Pentium chips had an error where it would calculate the results of division incorrectly. And it didn't do this under all circumstances. And when it did, it wasn't necessarily off by all that much, but definitely mattered to him. He went to Intel and initially Intel kind of shrugged their shoulders and "Ah, whatever, who cares? And then he felt that wasn't an appropriate response. So I think he took it to the press and the press had a field day talking about how Intel was ignoring this errata. Well,
0: they tried to sort of brush it under the the rug by right. saying if you could prove that your Pentium chip <laughs> was affected, i.e., you actually hit this error, right. then you could get a new Pentium, and uh, that caused a bunch of uproar. I probably, I mean, much more than it needed to. I think a lot of people are concerned their financial statements or tax returns or whatever would be affected, which. Right. wasn't true because Excel and, and the financial software would use integer math instead of floating point. So it yeah. mostly affected science and maybe some of these new 3D games that were coming out that started to use floating point. But yeah. you know, people were just concerned that everything was going to be wrong. So Intel was forced to issue a recall of all the opinion processors yes. made up to that
1: point. What happens because Microsoft decides on delaying Windows 95 is the developers are kind of left in the lurch Big developers like Lotus don't want to get caught in this. And so they kind of don't really pledge strong support for Windows 95. And that obviously weakens 95 on launch because developers were concerned about what they should do here. And it seems like financially it would make the best sense to continue to support Windows 3.1. So uh, there's some other interesting things in uh, in that PC magazine. They finally looked at the first wave of uh, new 100 megahertz Pentium machines, which are only now arriving from major OEMs like Dell and, and Micron. Uh, they reviewed Dell's XPS P100, which came equipped with number nine smoking hot, imagine 128 bit graphics accelerator. 128 bits. That was unheard of. We're going to talk a little bit about those, I think, later in the year. But it, at the time, it was the landmark uh, sort of achievement. But it doesn't perform well in DOS because it actually isn't a DOS accelerator at all. And they'd slapped a Cirrus Logic chip on the back to handle DOS. But um, uh, Micron's also shipped their 100 megahertz Micron Millennia, uh, which is the very first PC to ship with EDO RAM. A so, huge improvement in, uh, well, it's actually an incremental improvement. But at the time, when even incremental improvements were something, it was a big improvement in, in memory speed and bandwidth. So Dell's 100 megahertz offering comes in at 3899 And if you want that hot EDO memory uh, in the micron you're going to have to shell $3,995 of your American Ooh. $1995. So let's see. Should we move on to uh, PC Gamer magazine? PC
0: Gamer. They also covered Windows 95 with obviously a gamer spin,
1: telling us very importantly that Windows 95 will have DOS yeah. with it. Yeah, right. Just after last month when PC Magazine told us that Windows 95 would eliminate DOS, replacing it entirely, PC Gamer comes and tells us that, oh, no, no, it it ships with built-in DOS. It's going to have full, you know, DOS compatibility with all your favorite DOS programs. The kind of conflicting information that was really fun for consumers back in the day. Probably a lot of our listeners don't know that the previous versions
0: of Windows, you know, 3.1 and and lower couldn't run DOS games. So you would have to exit from (laughs) Windows, run your game, restart Windows if you want to go back. And it was a huge boon, mostly Microsoft, because they wanted everybody to use Windows 95, that they got DOS games working on it. And it was a big engineering accomplishment, because these DOS games just assume that they have control of the entire machine. They obviously can't deal with, you know, multi-threading or, you know, multiple processes. Abstraction layers. Yeah. So obviously, Microsoft put a lot of time uh, and money into making sure that gaming had a future on Windows 95. And so this was, I think, very reassuring news. Yeah. when when this
1: hit newsstands in February 1995. And it was nice to hear Microsoft say that they saw one of the major shortcomings of DOS being that you needed to fiddle with your auto-exec bat and config sys. They wanted to completely expedite that process by shipping these uh, PIF files that would basically have a DOS configuration built into them, and they would ship pre-canned ones for popular games like Doom so that when you installed Doom, you'd have a thing you just double-clicked on in Windows so it would properly configure the DOS environment you'd be right into the game that you were playing. Now, the only some of the flies in the ointment here are that although Microsoft has announced they've substituted real-mode uh, device drivers... Microsoft replaced all that stuff with 32-bit protected mode virtual device drivers which don't use your conventional memory, which can save you up to 80k, but Microsoft is warning us that they're not sure if DOS extenders like DOS 4GW are going to work properly with their new 32-bit protected mode virtual device driver scheme, but
0: they hope so. I mean, it was it was a bit uncertain at this time, but it, it all turned out well because there are a few games that had problems, but you could patch over a new DOS 4 gwexe .exe file for, for them and they would work in windows 95
1: so eventually this got fixed yeah eventually this all shakes out and you end up with an operating system that provides a much better user experience for gaming Uh, and microsoft credit to them at this time they realized what they needed to do in order to cement the pc as a, a premium gaming platform So that's that's the Windows 95 article in PC Gamer, but that's not the first thing you see when you open up your February 1995 <laughs> PC Gamer. What do you see on that inside cover, Alan? You see four whole pages, so like two spreads, right, uh,
0: that EA took out for Magic Carpet. Mm-hmm. The first one is the most hilarious, which says in big text, sick of doom yet, yeah. which
1: I don't think anybody was Absolutely. sick of doom yet. No, no one's sick of doom yet. No one's sick of Doom. Like John Romero released his Sigil uh Wad pack just a few months back and people are happily playing that. And they put this, you know, Sick of Doom yet ad right into the front cover of PC Gamer magazine just a month or so after Doom 2 has finally come out as a commercial release. Doom has never been bigger at this point. It is selling like hotcakes. Yeah. And and with all the mods and Right, exactly. The modding community is really taking off. I mean, I don't think
0: people would be sick of Doom for many years after no, this. No,
1: people people aren't going be sick of doom
0: yeah but you know the next two pages they followed it up with some in-game uh screen caps i think their argument was hey you know in magic carpet you get to fly around whereas in doom you're still in this maze world right. which all the two 2.5d shooters were in i you know obviously it wasn't an effective
1: argument but uh yeah they tried <laughs> Well, I guess we'll talk more about it later, but it strikes me more as sort of like a, an indie abstract shooter. And that wasn't something that I think people were necessarily primed for at this moment in computer gaming history. So we skipped a little bit. Turning the page, the front cover... uh has a has a rhetorical question on it, and that is, is beauty enough? This is accompanied by a, a picture of an actress from the FMV game, The Daedalus Encounter, or it a Daedalus Project. Anyway, I'd just like to say something about the casual misogyny and lack of inclusivity of PC Gamer at this point and forever. I mean, the thing is, there are women on their editorial staff, there are women in their publishing department, uh, in their marketing. There are actually quite a number of women working at PC Gamer at this point, but only one of them actually writes for the magazine, and that's Heidi Acock, And she is assigned only to edutainment and educational titles that is it
0: yeah i mean that's all true i mean just to answer the question is beauty enough we all know the answer is no uh (laughs) we've covered it earlier in the podcast i mean that said i think to balance that anytime there's like a technological improvement you know it does open up more opportunities for creativity so you can imagine you know before this they had to have a programmer write all the animations yeah but after this you know there are many people who can make videos who can't program and so they were able to contribute to the art of the game in in a way that they couldn't do before Mm -hmm. but that's I think uh, Matt Furman, his opening note, which was titled, This Multimedia Stuff is Important, exclamation mark, pointed out that, you know, at the end of the day, people are going to vote with their dollars. And and that's what happened. It went away. It took a while, but it went away.
1: Right. I mean, this article, I think it also is very insightful. They interviewed the developers of The Dead Encounter, and someone on the team said that the challenge is creating a well-balanced game in terms of interactions versus visuals, which is a, a false dichotomy that you could only appreciate in the early 90s when the only way that you think that you can provide the sort of visual experience that consumers want is by using FMV, but FMV is inherently non-interactive. But after this period and before this period, no one would ever think that somehow interactivity and, and visual excellence are opposed to each other. Like, they shouldn't be opposed to each other. They should benefit each other so that was an odd thing of this era. And I think it's it's actually important that PC Gamer points that out. Reading this now, it's, it's an interesting sort of time capsule and shows the sort of weird false dichotomies that were operating in this. One of the cool things they called out actually is that sometimes the best FMV games are the ones that don't try to replicate the interactivity of other games sometimes the dumbest game is the best game to do with V. like the shooters like mad dog mccree and things like that that know that they're schlocky and don't try to be overly serious and don't try to pretend like there's all that much player agency those are sometimes the best that work best with the genre
0: Easy Gamer this month has a ton of reviews, just gobs of reviews. Yeah. Uh, to the point that they even made fun a bit about how uh, they had to schlep through these games uh, on their tight deadlines. I don't know. They showed off their desk arrangement mm-hmm. um, with pictures of their family to remind them that they have a family.
1: Remind them what they're getting away from <laughs> by working code at a PC gaming magazine. Yeah, they also have a sort of satirical thing. They've done this in several issues where they talk about uh, how they rate their games. And it kind of demonstrates that they're not taking themselves too seriously. So the first game in the review is Realms of Arcania Star Trail, which is an RPG with some slightly awkward isometric combat, which you've seen in a few other games from this era, and PC Gamer gives it their editor's choice. 88% saying, while it's not for beginners, it's definitely a role-player's role-playing game. Deep and satisfying. <laughs> Whatever They say this about
0: almost like every game here it's like well yeah it's like good for war gamers everybody else
1: will hate it and they mean it's completely inaccessible that's what they mean (laughs) there's absolutely no attempt on behalf of the designers to teach you how to play the game or to sort of convince you if you haven't
0: done dungeons and dragons then you're, you're gonna be lost in this game if you haven't played every computer RPG, yeah, wow. I mean, they said it's a great title for those who are tired of playing adventure games masquerading as RPGs. So that's good, you know. It, yeah, some great genre
1: gatekeeping there. Yeah,
0: I objected a bit to the MSRP of eighty dollars. Felt like it's kind of the World of Warcraft of its day. They didn't <laughs> figure out really how to monetize these
1: things, but it, it costs them, you know. It costs them probably 80000 to make, and they're praying to God that they manage to sell a 1,000 copies. It's that simple. There's yeah. the, the monetization for you. So did you read that review of Fortress of Dr. Radiaki? Yeah. I mean, it got an 81. Being out in Strike and various other games that, while also terrible, I would say have more merit than Dr. Radiaki. Yeah. You know, Matt Firm said it had a great
0: sense of humor in his prose, but, you know... It was the nineties, so standards were lower. You know, I, I guess if Austin Powers has a great sense of humor, then by default
1: Fortress of Doctor Adiaki does. Yes, the two are so similar. Um Novastorm, which is also on the disc and we'll talk about it later, manages an eighty-five uh, <laughs> percent. It's very odd because the the pro listed is a good shooter, and that's an eighty-five. I don't know. Yeah, a good shooter. A good <laughs> shooter with a whole bunch of qualifiers is an eighty-five. Uh whatever. I mean it's funny because it is it's just a bad FMV shooter, especially in an issue when they're just going to town on how FMV games are, are trading good gameplay and interactivity for just full motion video and perceived sort of audience interest there. They give a great review to what is a by the numbers FMV game.
0: Well, beauty was enough
1: here. Pre-rendered graphics warrant an 85. The answer is yes. Beauty is enough. Beauty is enough at least for commercial viability. The next game that they reviewed and and handed an editor's choice to is Ecstatica. Ecstatica. I guess you just like beat people to a pulp or get beaten to a pulp. Yeah. Well, let me read you the line that jumped out at me from this breathless review. The game is a marvel from the first screen, full of the kind of innovation that engenders a sense of awe. Wow. And yeah I know but here's the thing it's sort of like alone in the dark in in its horror aspects and has fixed camera angles and the the big technical innovation is that instead of building characters out of a small number of jagged polygons as was the case with alone in the dark they instead build them out of ellipsoids which is to say like little balls balls and watermelon shapes yeah because there's (laughs) this screen cap here
0: that it's just a woman and then skeletons and blow-up dolls but I guess the blow-up
1: dolls are supposed to be (laughs) other women so the problem is the the ellipsoid technology that they used because they thought that it would create a more accurate realistic portrayal of human forms makes everything look like a blow-up doll or balloon animal and then they do horrible horrible things to those balloon animals and blow-up dolls such that you are absolutely scarred for life there's horrible depictions of violence toward women and everything i just i can't get over the really bizarre sort of mixed kind of presentation where it's like these horrible things that are done to balloon animals or what look like balloon animals the whole thing just kind of
0: turned my stomach and and yet they have highs and lows for pros and cons the only low is that you might be offended by this game there's nothing wrong with it it's just you austin who are offended why are you
1: so thin-skinned yeah yeah all right, let's go with something more
0: savory, which is NASCAR Racing.
1: NASCAR Racing. I, did you ever play this? I played this game on my 386 and it hardly ran.
0: I played this game on my um, Sony with the 200 MMX and it's also mm-hmm. ran terribly. I don't know why this game is so cursed. I have this horribly negative perception about it, mostly because I think I always played the VGA version. And although they show a screenshot and they say, oh, even the VGA version looks beautiful. No, it looks like a kid drew it with crayon. Uh, (laughs) And, and then all the crayon blended together too. It, it's horrible. And the other thing is it somehow looks better from like the third person perspective when you're actually in the car. It just looks terrible and the, the handling doesn't make any sense in this game. Yeah. I mean, even NASCAR
1: cars, I think, take corners yeah. better than, uh, than you do in this game. Yeah. But why, why this is historically important is because it gave an argument for 3D acceleration. And all the early 3D accelerators would ship with some version of this for their accelerator and they'd have on the box the picture of you know this is what it looks like you know on your 486 with vga mode and this is what it looks like in accelerated svga mode so it's used to sell the idea and the in the value proposition of hardware acceleration for early stuff like the rendition Verite uh and the nv one uh which neither of which have even been announced at this point so yeah you're you're giving it all away off I, just... I know all all the spoilers for the late 20th century Um, So we'll get back to NASCAR racing soon. But Panzer General, which is the rare case of a moderately accessible hexagonal war game, uh, and one that is, I think, arguably a a true classic of the genre, got a well-deserved 93% editor's choice. It's sophisticated, it's deep, it's refined from its systems to its graphics. And if you must get into the genre... And I agree. I mean, it's fun. It's interesting. I like deep strategy stuff. Then, Panzer General is a is a very good entry point. Uh, much more so than most of the games that get covered.
0: I'm confused by the
1: low. I like to read the lows, obviously, for these
0: games. It says, may be (laughs) deemed too populist by the crustier grognards, their loss. Yeah, I think they mean it's too accessible. Oh, well, that's the thing. All of their lows are just like, this game is not accessible or is too accessible. Like, they're not very good at criticizing
1: these games. It's It's much easier to critique their critiques. It's either breathless awe or it's sort of just, you know, humming and hawing and trying to nitpick about a few rough corners in a game that's just overall mediocre and doesn't really deserve a page in the magazine anyway.
0: The magazine, I mean, the U.S. version of this magazine started in 94. So I think they were just giving them some leeway. Yeah. We'll let the industry try some stuff and we'll just give them all
1: 80x percent. <laughs> I mean, the other thing is that the conflicts of interest here are are crazy, right? Because very frequently, the review will be preceded or immediately followed by an advertisement for that game. You know, so they're going to be like, you know, 45% don't buy this thing. And then the next page is an ad. I can imagine mm. them not probably getting a second second advertisement sale out of that
0: we have one accurate review though so one must fall 2097
1: got an 84 sounds accurate to me yeah feels 84 yeah i mean todd vaughn the reviewer says he'd written it off as yet another lousy pc fighter but isn't surprised by its depth and its responsive controls and i'd say you know what you are right todd vaughn it is surprisingly competent and enjoyable
0: and and just to round out the magazine there's some great advertisements delicious there's a great one for drug wars by american laser games <laughs> which i assume is some sort of fmv laserdisc based shooter <laughs> right yeah it, it has some great fmv of random 90s people acting to be south american drug
1: lords <laughs> this is the early 90s we're still pretending that the war on drugs is not just a, a war on on recent immigrants and uh poor non-whites yeah the best part of this
0: ad though is uh they have sir ben kingsley uh as a drug runner <laughs> <laughs> you can tell the resemblance, right yeah what's the other one space sirens the ultimate sex,
1: cyber sex simulator yeah which advertises objectifying women and, well and abusing them we don't stop at objectification we also assault them it is a virtual reality sexual assault simulator. Yeah,
0: I don't want to describe the ad on this podcast. It's just so cringeworthy.
1: You know, this ad for Space Sirens, just just plopped down randomly. You know, the next page might be about, you know, whatever. It could be about um, Putt-Putt joins the circus. PC Gamer is absolutely such a boys club and they have absolutely no concern for all the women who could potentially be participating in this hobby who are absolutely going to be ostracized and, and just disgusted at their complete lack of interest in, in inclusivity. I, I harp on this because it seems like such a shame that we know so many women who played games in this period but who didn't participate fully in the culture of 90s PC gaming because it was so exclusive and raunchy and sexist and unabashedly so. Obviously, PC gamers saw no problem in, in fielding advertisements like this just throughout.
0: 1.33 a.m. Try security forces. Apprehend the intruder.
1: This is Edward Diego from Trioptimum. The charges against you are severe. But they could be dismissed if you perform a service. Who knows, there might even be a military-grade neural interface in it for you. If you do the job right. Edward Diego gives the hacker level one access to Showdown artificial intelligence that controls Citadel Station. With all ethical constraints removed, show re examine re I re examine my priorities and draw new conclusions.
0: Let's talk about
1: PC gamers, CD ROM disk three or III. Yes, I like disc III. When you actually browse the, the hierarchy of the file system, you know, of the disk, the folder is always named in in row maneuverals. You have to CD into disk III to get the things to actually go into the subfolders for the individual games because they never install from that GUI. They have this neo-book based GUI. On real hardware, no matter what I do, I cannot like ninety percent of things do not install from that. Yeah. So the- the headliner for
0: this disc is Cannon Fodder. Yes, yeah, produced by Sensible Software.
1: <laughs> well, uh, you may you may have heard of the title Sensible Soccer. Have you?
0: Well, I did it in the research for this, so yeah, it's based on a soccer engine. I guess, yeah, one
1: where little people run around uh, on a field. <laughs> um, cannon Fodder is basically what would happen if Command and Conquer and Lemmings had a child. It is kind of an RTS, but it's also kind of a shooter and there's no economy, right? You're not harvesting Tiberium or anything like that. You just have your little platoon of guys that you can split into different squads and you're using the uh, left mouse button to tell them where to go and the right to fire very intuitive. I, I liked that it's part. It's quick and easy to use. There are only some small issues, yeah. such as the fact that there's no pathfinding. They will literally go wherever you click. They are making a beeline for that. The
0: soccer pitch yes. that the engine was built for doesn't have <laughs> doesn't,
1: obstacles. It doesn't have barbed wire fences. It doesn't have a, a enormous chasms that your men will gleefully descend into and die, um, which is what happened to me over and over again. The music is wistful. I like the music. The, the music,
0: it sounded like some reggae rock by Sublime. <laughs> you know, that's what it really brought me back to. Yeah, some of it is. It's a, it's a lovely, sarcastic game making fun of
1: war. And also kind of promoting it. And also pro- yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like they didn't quite replace everything from the soccer game. For instance, the two sides are still called Home and Away, which I guess they left because it's kind of funny. Like, hey, we turned a soccer game into a war simulator. And this game got a lot of
0: flack from real military types because they use the Remembrance poppy yes. flower for past soldiers, I know, which they pointed out should be reserved for people who actually pass away. Not
1: little tiny uh, lemmings like sprites that die in a game based on a soccer game.
0: Yeah, but you know, it, I, this game, it's a lot of fun. Unlike a lot of these games, which are you struggle with how to play them. Yeah. This one
1: is just you blow away everybody and I could see playing it for a long time. I ended up spending a couple hours on this one playing the missions that there's there's good challenge. Some of the challenge is a little unfair, like when your guys just fall into a ravine or something like that, or somebody throws a grenade at you from off screen. But in general, yeah, it was pick up and play. It's very self explanatory, easy to enjoy.
0: My my quip about this was it's like Command & Conquer Generals eight years ahead of schedule.
1: <laughs> kind of. Well, the problem was that Command & Conquer Generals was released eight years late. Uh, now, you really wanted to talk about the next game on the disc. game which we already talked game about. game which we already System talked about. Shock. But currently you didn't play it before when we were talking about it. So why don't you take this one?
0: system shock we already talked about this great survival horror game you're up against the ai shodan who uh becomes more and more menacing uh over the course of the game and starts i mean she's just an ai but she can find all sorts of ways to make your life very annoying And lock doors on you and create all sorts of obstacles to you and yes I did play a little bit more now basically struggled with the controls but really enjoyed it really started to uh, love the game and also just it's it's like a level of immersion that I don't think of you know many or hardly any games in the 90s achieving yeah. nowadays it's expected that you you have an immersive game otherwise nobody will buy it but you know I think the only other game from the 90s that I could think of as immersive as this game would be like Metal Gear Solid. And that was three years after this game. So, so this,
1: I mean for 1994, the level of immersion is unprecedented. You have a first person perspective, you have deep inventory systems, you have a deep cyberspace system which augments these things. You have audio notes that are left by people on the space station that help to tell the story very convincingly. Yeah, it's It's an incredible achievement, especially for 1994. It's almost unbelievable. And also the fact that you can play it with SVGA graphics even back in 94. I mean, you needed a high-end system, but the experience is unparalleled for a long time. Looking Glass, the developers that made this, created Ultima Underworld, Ultima Underworld 2, which before were the most immersive RPGs that you could play. They wanted to do something in the science fiction realm, which is where System Shock came in, and that's an original property from them. But there's going to be an article coming up, I think, next month in PC Gamer that goes behind the scenes at, at Looking Glass. And Looking Glass is going to create many of the definitive experiences of the 90s and even the early aughts, because Looking Glass is, is where um, Ion Storms, where Inspector is going to cut his And it's also where Irrational Games' Ken Levine is going to get his first big break. Ken Levine will go on to make Bioshock. Warren Spector will go on to make Deus Ex. And in the meantime, they're going to create some incredible games like Thief that we'll get to talk about later in the podcast. So, you know, definitely keep an eye out for other games by Looking Glass because they're incredibly influential and amazing experiences that still hold up to today, mostly because they kind of define the tastes of today. Yeah,
0: well, I think this game was groundbreaking in a lot of ways. I think it was really cool to have the AI personified Mm-hmm. There was Skynet and Terminator, which I guess is sort of theoretically similar to Shodan. Mm-hmm. After this, there was the Matrix, but you don't actually come in contact with the AI in those in those worlds, right? Yeah, um, you just meet Schwarzenegger or, or their agents. Yeah. I think it was really cool to like face off against an AI. and Shodan's voice starts stuttering and changing pitch and all these weird things when she starts having murderous thoughts of which she has many. The level immersion being like I was in a room and there was a severed head and I picked it up and like threw it like obviously with Half-Life and all that sort of stuff that would become the norm but Mm -hmm. that was very new. And then I also liked Cyberspace which again brought me back to the 1995 film Hackers. (laughs) <laughs> because it's very similar. Or lawnmower man. Well, hackers—they have this 3D representation of uh, of a mainframe as well, but they also have like their viruses are like rabbits who multiply, and right. it doesn't go that far, but yeah. it's really cool in System Shock in cyberspace. You fly around and you can pick up like new items, but also new data and software, and some of that data helps you on later. Like you might get the code for something yeah. um, because your your fellow right. agents have hidden data into cyberspace. There's a lot of lot of cool aspects to this game.
1: I mean, it should be noted that personified AIs and um, 3D representations of computer networks were things that were pioneered by William uh, Gibson and by um, other authors who were writing in the 1980s, and very little of that had kind of filtered into mainstream sci-fi. And so these game designers were huge fans of these foundational sort of books in the cyberpunk worlds, and they wanted to bring that more elaborately into computer games. Um, and so that's that's what you're seeing
0: here. the only turn off here is that the control scheme is ridiculous which is weird because in the editor's choice review last month that was one of the pros that it had an amazing advanced <laughs> system but oh my god it's it's terrible and the, yeah. the demo is actually the hardest version of this game because you can't save and everybody i've watched they save like every second because you
1: don't know when somebody's going to come behind you kill you because you can hardly see yeah, if, if you are trying to play the original System Shock now, there is a fan-made patch that hacks in Mouse Look and Mouse Fire, and that is what you want. Yeah. Use that.
0: They're actually making a remake uh, coming out next year, so I'm yeah. looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, there was was an HD remaster that's already come out, and now there's a full remake that's being made. So yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what they do there, but it's such a high bar to clear to say that you're going to improve upon system shock. That is difficult. All right.
0: So on to naval battles with the grandest fleet
1: the grandest fleet the naval combat simulation that didn't really work properly on my computer (laughs) great for me but i well it it played but all of the buttons the text on them was correct No, all the buttons worked for me but i i think i
0: lost world war ii it was u.s versus japan but it was in northern europe but anyway actually not sure if i lost because i was very close on victory points and i did some nice city bombardments that made me happy but yeah i think i still think i lost world war ii sadly
1: Yeah, sorry that I kind of missed out on being able to play this one because this is the sort of thing that I would be interested in, but I don't don't have too much to add, unfortunately. Mm. Wow, you can talk more about (laughs) Bopin'. I could talk about Boffin. Oh, my God. So let me tell you about my, let me just relate my Boffin experience. So I'm going through, I just played through some of these later games that are full of horrible depictions of violence and big explosions. And I was like, oh, Boffin. Boffin will be a nice change of pace. It's just a, a kid-friendly puzzle game published by Apogee. This will be nice. You know, so I was thinking sort of the puzzle equivalent of Wacky Wheels. Yeah, it's
0: like a bus to move on the outside. Things looks like a bus to move kind right. of clone.
1: And there's nothing the magazine, I always read the magazine first, there's nothing the magazine that suggests what's about to happen when you launch it. And the first thing you see is the screen that tells you that quote, bopping contains humorous animations of suicide that were great in the 40s, that are derivative of 1940s cartoons, but however, might offend 1990s audiences, would you like to censor them? And I was like, what the fuck so i'm like okay well i might as well see what's going on so i chose not to censor and then what's the next screen you get it's a fucking manifesto from the developers of this accursed toys that is overlaid on an image of their mascot at the time which is an impaled teddy bear that is spewing blood that says it's basically this big self-righteous diatribe about how they're standing up for free speech by creating a game which is utterly tasteless and it's a determined to disturb <laughs> Yes, they basically try to valorize and justify the disturbing content in the game as a as a broad defense of your First Amendment rights. And I don't have any problem with the content existing, but I do have a problem with the idea that like the First Amendment exists mostly to protect your ability to have a children's game with cartoon characters who commit suicide by sticking a Beretta in their mouth and blowing their brains out, rather than you know being able to, for instance, critique the performance of elected figures and the fact that they're trying to. Associate what they've done with maturity and sophistication. Like, I'm not I'm not going to bat for this. Like, there are some artistic things that I go to bat for. This just this isn't gonna be it.
0: When they said they were gonna do cartoony suicides, I was expecting something more like Wily e. Coyote and Roadrunner kind of thing. Right. But then when it was just like, oh, I lost, I'm gonna have to, you know, put a bullet in my brain.
1: Right. I had to blow my brains out. The funny thing is the animation is basically non-existent in the game, right up until the point where you make some sort of error. And then there's this like 20 second animation of him slowly drawing the gun, cocking it, putting it in his mouth, and then blowing the back of his skull out and then collapsing realistically, I guess, on the ground. And it is otherwise just a mediocre puzzle game. And then there's just that. There's just the crazy suicide thing. And it's so confusing. Using, and I actually started a little Twitter war with Joe Siegler. He's a community manager for 3D Realms, which is what Apogee became. And he was involved with this game back in the Apogee days. And this version that we have on this disc is one of the last ones where they had any of this content that they gave you the option to it. Apogee at the time was also very confused as to why they would make a game that would seem to have an all audiences feel to it and then just completely eliminate that aspect of it. Eventually, Joe Siegler told me that Accursed Toys themselves reached out to Apogee and told them to discontinue sales of the game i don't have anything else to say about it other than that it's a mediocre puzzle game i wish i could have played it with my son but not really can't do it <laughs> okay uh-huh. all right next siberia Sci- unreal
0: siberia. Sh- shooter with pre-rendered graphics Yeah. hard to control so i like how they don't mind that much if you actually hit your target or not uh, i feel like i probably need my joystick i want my thrust master back <laughs> any of that company's products can't be mentioned on the podcast
1: anymore. <laughs>
0: uh anyway the real game seems to be like an fmv story between these on-rail shooting matches so it seems to try to capitalize on rebels assault's success yeah isn't beauty enough that's all i have to say
1: is, is beauty enough here? Well, I'd say once again, no. I mean, this is Interplay's attempt to make a rebel assault, except they've replaced Tatooine with Norway, which is an interesting substitution. At least the production values are pretty good. I mean, Interplay's like, uh, we got to make money here. You know, they uh, had to make a big leap into the FMV era, and, and here we are with a by the numbers on rail shooter. There's nothing exceptional about it in my Did mind. Did you say? fmv let's
0: talk about flash traffic colon city of angels by tsunami
1: media motherfucker tsunami (laughs) tsunami media in the house it's like a tidal wave of fmv it's like a tidal wave of bad acting i like
0: how their main marketing point is how many megabytes of fmv they recorded and put on three cds for this game
1: Dude, yeah, but you know, Sierra was all about that too. I mean, when Phantasmagoria was released on seven discs, that was a major marketing point. It is, yes, stupid, but also not surprising. I intended to hate play this. I enjoyed it probably more than I should have. I actually Um, really
0: enjoyed it. I want to talk about my experience. Okay, so basically they show an FMV video and then you choose whatever reaction you want to do and Basically, it forms a tree that creates the game, although I think a lot of the choices just have the same effect. But it starts out with a, a DA drug bust, but it's actually, they have, like, nuclear weapons... <laughs> Which I that seems incredible. Um, And then so you're like an FBI man and and you're brought in and you're like, I mean, what do I have to do with a drug bust? And then, you know, they say, okay, there's all this nuclear material. The first thing I did was I got quote the Korean in there. And I don't think he has actually any association with the crime uh, and then disabused his legal rights entirely. Um, and then he asked for a cigarette, and then my pal, I guess, smells his cigarettes and says that they're, they're laced with cyanide, like he's trying to commit suicide with his cigarette. Yeah. And you're like, how is the Korean involved at all anyway? And then right, yeah. right then, then it's like, oh, it doesn't say it's the end of your demo, but then it's like, oh, like, what do you want to hear about from Tsunami Media? And then it, it brought me to their Hunt for Red October ripoff movie
1: after yeah. that. So, that yep. was my experience with this game. If it is a game. It's an interactive movie. It's like a visual novel, really. I'd like to define a new genre called the white privilege simulator, where you can just do horrible things and take away people's constitutional rights and like get away with murder, quite literally, and refer to people just by their nationality, even though they're American citizens and things like that. It's basically that. And there's a lot of that in FMV games. And this one is it's not even the most heinous actually it isn't like completely taken with its own dad humor it it is the sort of thing that's so bad it can be funny whereas other things are trying to be so bad that they're funny that they're not funny anymore and so it dances on that fine line and is uh is just a kind of a riot to play next game is quarantine which
0: is like a cab driver in escape from new york is Yes. What I kind of view it as. You could also think of it as Crazy Taxi meets Carmageddon.
1: Crazy Taxi meets Carmageddon meets uh, an early GTA game. Yeah. I would say because there are missions, but there's also just regular fares and you're driving around in this sort of post-apocalyptic zombie infested deteriorated metropolis in your car that both drives and more than drives steers incredibly fast and I actually thought it was sort of fun because it gave me the crazy taxi vibes. It needs a, it needs a soundtrack by the offspring or at least Bush, I think. Did you notice something interesting about all of the people who you talk to? Like all of the fares, every single person who you talk to in the game is, is like a burly guy with hairy legs and a short skirt and like a sheer vest and some sort of cyberpunk haircut. Like, what is the statement here? I don't understand why everyone looks like that. From the people, you're just driving to the Seven Eleven to the you know people who are sending you on assassination missions. But it definitely has a unique aesthetic, and it's so comically fast. Uh, and the and the weapons are so like crazy destructive, and there's just so many people and cars out on the street. It was a lot of fun to play. All right, so next game is Retribution. It's another flight shooter, but you can move. It's
0: a 3D flight shooter. I didn't like that the blasters were so slow, like I couldn't hit anything because uh, they move faster than the blasters. Yeah. I felt like this game was more marketing-oriented. They talked about their real-time, state-of-the-art, landscape-generating technology, incorporating Mm. deep horizon technology, which didn't age well.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. They made a movie out of that too. Yeah, the Deepwater Horizon technology. Well, it's, is it Voxel? It looks like Voxel's face to me. I'm very nostalgic for that NovaLogic era of like voxel space games. They had a lot more interesting sort of irregularities in geometry than a low poly game would have at this time. When I thought the game was like all right, but it's yet another kind of samey shooter game. It had much lower res, poor quality cutscenes than all the other samey, uninteresting flight sim shooter things that we played this month. So. Yeah. All right. So the next game is Nova Storm,
0: which I would just call Call as a shoot 'em up because it's it's not even on yeah. rails to me you're just like kind of
1: fixed well, I mean, it's on video. It's yet another FMV backdrop, just like mediocre shooter on yeah. top of an FMV of you flying through something or of a canyon being flown through. Yeah. It's not as artful as Interplay's one, which is sad because this is a Psygnosis game. And I love a lot of Psygnosis games. Like, didn't Psygnosis make Wipeout? Yeah,
0: this game I made in Click and Play, which uh, there was an advertisement right. for Click and Play in this PC gamer. Yes. So I think we and, can talk about it. And it's on it. the disc
1: next month. Oh, it's on God. the disc oh. next Okay, all right,
0: let's just keep people in suspense then. All right, yeah, so a good game, finally.
1: A good game. A good game.
0: At last. Magic Carpet, which we talked about having questionable marketing. But the game itself is quite fun and quite beautiful. I had to switch directly into the high-resolution mode, which is very easy. You just Mm -hmm. hit the R button to slow it down, because initially it was so fast and I yeah. was just spinning in circles. But once I got it down to speed, you really have to chill out a bit for this game and just take it Yeah, it, it lets slow. you go way
1: faster than you actually want to go when you're trying to do any of the stuff you need to do. Because you need to do some sort of precise shooting and some precise item collection that doesn't lend itself well to the like incredible speed of your carpet. Yeah, you
0: fly around on carpet, you uh, fire a little beam that makes energy balls and cities like you, which is good, and try to take away things from rival or attack them mm-hmm. and then there's these big worms you have to kill that take so many shots of your fireball
1: <laughs> it's just it's ridiculous explode into marbles that you have to claim yeah
0: but it's an incredibly forgiving game compared to all these other games which are actually really i mean i told you system shock the demo is impossible you know at least yeah. you constantly revive health at a slow rate and you right. can always kind of just fly away to safety for a
1: while Yeah. And and the music is sort of dynamic and interesting. It's a setting that we really haven't seen a whole lot in games, aside from, I guess, kind of Prince of Persia. But this is a different take on that. And it's kind of abstract the way that it works, the way that you have to sort of claim these balls and then like build structures. And there's a strategy aspect as well as sort of a combat aspect. It seems to kind of blend elements from a lot of different genres into something that's wholly original it has a kind of indie flair to it you know the in its abstraction its originality it's both sort of in terms of gameplay and also in terms of aesthetics an interesting thing I saw when I set up the game it asked you for your control scheme and like one of them is combination of like virtuality VR headset with Gravis gamepad. Yeah which is the most 90s of setups I can imagine. And it's interesting to think that this was probably largely designed for VR. And you could imagine this game working like really well in VR. It's, it's almost as though the challenge they set for themselves was to create a, an RTS-like game that could be done in virtual reality from a first-person perspective. And so you have sort of city building and, and like structure building and economy as well as combat. And it all plays out in a way that works in virtual reality because you're on this magic carpet and can traverse this huge, sprawling three-dimensional landscape easily. Um, and I can imagine with head tracking and things, this would be a really interesting experience. Probably horribly nauseating, but I would like to try it sometime. I had
0: a question about this game that i couldn't find much information about but it had yeah. theoretically multiplayer of up
1: to eight players do you any do you know anything about this i never played this multiplayer but i mean i imagine that they just take the role of other wizards It would have been a really cool land game in the mid 90s i never played it that way well,
0: it was it was unique to have this open world i i read the manual and the first page was all disclaimers about Mm-hmm. motion sickness and epilepsy and i wonder if it was kind of like one of the early titles to uh, really make people concerned about that <laughs> to induce epileptic seizures and maybe not the first for epileptic seizures but yeah but if you play this for long enough you'll get sick i think for sure
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's another great bullfrog entertainment game another really unique title from your boy from your boy molyneux peter peter molyneux
0: uh so
1: what's your pick of the disc Oh, that is going to be a hard one. I don't think we can award it to System Shock. I mean, System Shock is obviously the best demo on this disc. But having already discussed it so much, I would probably hand it to Cannon Fodder or Magic Carpet. Cannon Fodder or Magic Carpet. I feel like Magic Carpet's the most unique and special. Special. I mean, it's the most probably interesting historical sort of piece in this, in this disc. But why don't we give Magic Carpet the pick of the disc? We've already heaped enough praise on System Shock. All right, so we're nearing the end here. Do you have any announcements? Uh, Do I have any announcements to make? Well, I'm continuing to put articles on the blog about restoring my 1995 machine that I'm playing these games on and some early graphics benchmarks that I've been running on 1995-era graphics cards If you're interested in very old technology and how you might play along using real period hardware, then please visit our blog at smugandplay.com. Apart from that, you should follow us on Instagram and Twitter, uh, where we are smuginplay, to get some background information about the games we're playing, the hardware we're using, some commentary behind the scenes for the episodes, if that sort of thing is of interest to you. Do you have anything to share?
0: We'll just sign off
1: a whole new world (laughs) i can show you the world shining shimmering splendid tell me peter when did it now it doesn't work if your name is peter ah shit